We have done it. It is episode 10, double digits. Double digits. Of Hit Bull Win Podcast, which in case you did not know, is the official podcast of the Durham Bulls and a production of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. I'm Matt Suter. On the other mic is AGM, comma, Operation Scott Strickland. So uh, I think we got a good good. Good episode today. Yeah, there's there's some good topics on some your good, agenda over good there. Good topics here. Good yeah. interview. Good everything. Just good. good. It's yeah. just good. So we're we're talking about rain mm. and talk talk a little bit about rain and uh, why we don't cancel games at ten in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our staff meal argument of the week. This is something that I have uh, been passionate about for the better part of six years. Yeah, we interview Chef Curtis Wong, our executive chef at the ballpark. We'll talk a little bit about our playoff race that we're in. We're in the thick of things right now. And then we will preview our upcoming homestand. All right. So, Scotty. Yo. Last Tuesday. Well, mm-hmm. I guess it was technically two Tuesdays ago. Uh, July That's 23rd. <laughs> it rained all day long. Mm-hmm. And it was a bad, like it was like a heavy, heavy, heavy rain. Heavy rain, yeah. Uh, we played. We had a game scheduled in Durham. To be very clear. That's, it was raining in Durham. Right. All day long. Uh, we started play at 7.45. Little delay in the grand scheme of things. 40-minute delay. Yeah. And I think what a lot of fans don't think about or realize is how much we monitor like everything yeah. in order to make sure we play that night or don't play that night. And what all goes into that monitoring and internal communication. Et cetera, exactly. Et so on Monday night, on Monday, July 22nd, our head groundskeeper, Cam Brendel, uh, who... Interestingly, most listened to episode in Hit Bullwin podcast history, the Cam Brendel interview. Wow. Or episode that episode. Take that Monday that night, whew, uh, out there. he sends out a text message who can come help put the tarp on the field. So it's not raining Monday night, yeah. like at 7 o'clock. But we're looking at the forecast 24 hours in advance, 36 hours in advance. Yeah, it was actually discussed in that morning's pre-homestand meeting. Yes, yes. So, I mean, it was a full 36 hours in advance. We're looking at the radar all right, we got to put the tarp on tonight. Mm-hmm. So when it starts raining at, let's say, 4 in the morning, mm-hmm. the field is ready for it. Yep. So that's really when it starts is Cam and Scott and Mike uh, are really looking at this stuff way in advance to make sure that – because let's put it this way. If it starts raining at 4 a.m. and it pours – we got issues. We're And the tarp isn't on the field. We're done. Yeah. We, we can't play. An important part here, too, on the field preparation element is each each weather event is different from the next and different from the previous one. In this particular instance, we were very confident that this was going to be a, once it started raining, it was pretty much going to nonstop rain until a certain point. Now, we don't know when that certain point is, but we were also very confident that that was going to be around game time. So from Cameron's standpoint, he's actually needing to get the field in almost a pregame ready to rock and roll um, structure on Monday evening. So, for example, he actually watered the infield. I'm talking about the infield dirt here. He watered that infield dirt pretty heavily before the tarp went on. Because, what again, what we just talked about is he's getting the field in the condition that it needs to be to play a game. It was going to then get covered by a tarp, then hopefully rain, stop raining before game time, or right a few minutes around game time. Or in this case, we probably pulled the tarp at 7.10, 7.15, pull the tarp off, put some white lines down, play ball and and again that seems probably very counterintuitive yep. to a lot of people okay so he's watering the field 
but it's going to, to get rain. ready for rain. <laughs> now that shows you how good the tarp is. Again, mm-hmm. these tarps are very expensive pieces of eight thousand dollars, one hundred seventy feet by one hundred seventy yeah. feet. I mean, these things are 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 legitimate pieces of canvas. I don't know, vinyl, vinyl, sure. Um, but you pay good money for it because if that tarps down, nothing is getting onto the infield. Like your infield is going to be fine. So that's what. So Cam waters the field, like Scott said, heavily. 24 hours before first pitch and then it rains all day just like we thought it would and at 10 o'clock we're fielding phone calls hey is the game still on general rule of thumb the game is always on and it's always on schedule until it's not yep now i understand that's not great Mm -hmm. from a fan's perspective but we truly i mean we are going to do every single thing we can to play that game for a couple of different reasons right one it's simply the integrity of the game. If, right. if you can play at 7:45, you're not going to cancel the game. Yep. You know, p- the team from the team standpoint, teams have pitchers that need to throw, especially at this level. It's developmental. So if guy if a guy is slated to throw four innings on Tuesday night, you got to do what you can for, so he can throw four innings on Tuesday night. Do we have to do our duty to the Bulls and the Rays and whoever's in town on the visiting side? Then there's the business standpoint, right? Fans have bought tickets to this game. Mm-hmm. There's groups There's that have picnics. been sold to this game. Yeah, a picnic that might meet once a year. They might do an annual picnic. And it's very hard to schedule something for a group of 400 people. Right. So it, we wouldn't be doing our duty to the fans if at 10 o'clock we canceled the game that could be played again at 745. So so there's the two sides to it. So all day long, we're, we're planning on playing at 705. And, and the reason we always tell fans that even if it's 5.30 and it's pouring, is once that tarp comes off, we're looking at about 30 minutes. You know, that, that's what we shoot for, is when the tarp comes off, we're looking at 30 minutes to start the game. The rain could stop at any time. We, do, we don't know what's going to happen. We have an idea. We have radar. Again, Scott, Mike, and Cam, they're always looking at it, but radar can be wrong. Right. It, 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 important part, too, that... Um, I think a, a big disparity between some things that we are looking at, um, event operators, and this this carries across not to just baseball. This is anything that's outdoor, concerts, et cetera, um, versus what a fan is looking at. Um, forecasts are good the day before, two days before, three days before. And then once you get to the day of forecast, a true definition of a forecast kind of goes out the door, goes out the window. It doesn't apply anymore. The only thing that applies on the day of is the actual radar. That's that's the stock market report. That that's the that's the number where you can see what's actually happening and when it's going to stop and when it's going to end. And and obviously things can happen. It, something could pop up just like that. But in these types in, uh, instances, like on Tuesday, where it's a legit system that's coming through, you can see the back edge of the storm. You can do math. If it's moving 30 miles per hour, for example, you can do the math of the back edges in Concord and it's moving 30 miles per hour. It's going to be out of here in about three and a half, four hours. You can figure that type stuff out uh, to help narrow the window of of error, basically. Quick story. Uh, A few years ago, it was a game day and and Mike Burling, again, our fearless VP, was looking at the radar. And he comes out of his office and says to myself and one other person, if a front is moving uh, 45 miles an hour and it's 45 miles away, uh, when will it get out of here? And me and the other person just sort of looked at each other like, 
surely this is a trick question. <laughs> uh, what, what, and neither one of us wanted to answer because like this isn't as this easy isn't. as it seems because he, he would, someone who's been in baseball for over two decades would not be asking this question. Right. Um, so you get, then you get lost in the numbers sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so flash forward, it's now 6.30. Okay, game is supposed to start at 7.05. And we know... The tarp isn't off the field. It's still raining. We're not going to start at 7.05. Right. But at this point, the umpires are here. Obviously, our front office is here. Both teams are here. So this is where now it becomes a, a much larger conversation between Cameron and Scott and Mike and the two clubhouses and the man and the umpires. Now, before the first pitch is thrown, the team gets to make the decision. So ultimately, that falls on Mike's shoulders yeah. of, you know, he's making the final call. We're going to postpone. Uh, we're not going to play at all, or we're going to start in a delay. But, again, both clubhouses have been consulted. Because, again, if if both managers are saying, we need to play today, I need this guy to get four innings, we take that into consideration. If the umpires are if looking at the radar and say, you know what, that's pretty light, it's supposed to be out of here at 725, yeah, let's go ahead let's and start go. at 705. Once the game starts, that's when it now comes out of our hands. As soon as the first pitch is thrown, the umpires make the final call on whether or not a game is going to be delayed. Um, but again, they're working with Cameron and Mike. And Cam, it's it's never a good sign when there's it's not raining. And you look down to the field and, and in between innings, field. you see our groundskeeper showing the umpire his phone. You're basically waiting for the call on your earpiece. Yep. Head down to the tarp. And if you're a fan and you're sitting in section 122 or 128, and you see Cameron showing something on a phone to a crew chief, it'd be a good idea to go ahead and head underneath the roof on that one. Yep. Get that first dibs on that seat. <laughs> so so that's how we, we maneuver rain. That's how we take it all into account. Uh, but again, general rule of thumb, we will play until we're not. And we never withhold information. As soon as right. we know we're delayed, we tell people. We, yep. we put it as in, in all the social media. And, and if we know early enough, we'll send out an email. Um, but it, it is difficult because, again, it's it's – there are some fans who probably expect you to know the answer. Right. When will the rain stop? And, and it's neat too, right? We're, we're not just a Durham team. We're a regional team, right? So you've got folks that are traveling from 30, 45, maybe even sometimes an hour away. And I think one thing that's really cool about the Bulls too is you also get the occasional fan that's coming to see the Bulls, right? They saw the movie. They want to go see the ballpark. And we'll get people, you know, I'm driving from Richmond, Virginia, for the game tonight, where where a lot of teams don't have to deal with that, and you are wanting to provide that fan with as much information as possible, but but to a degree, we we don't know what's going to happen. We can't predict the future until so six thirty. Tough balance there. Like until six thirty, we're playing at seven oh five because again, radars radars have been wrong. Yep. there have been times where we'll, we'll <laughs> go out to the tarp and and there's almost a debate of okay, let's go to the tarp. So in case this front hits us, we're going to roll it out. And whether it's you, Scott, or Mike, or whoever's looking at their phone, and you say it should be it raining, should right, be now. raining right now, should be raining right now. Like, and then you'll then you'll show your phone to other people. Like, look, it should be <laughs> raining here, and it's not. Uh, so that's what we we deal with, and and again, that's why we we're not withholding anything. It's just this is truly what we have to do to to do our duty to the fans and the team to 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 play that game. So along those lines, that leads us to our staff meal argument of the week. In the pilot episode of Hit Bullwin Podcast, we had our discussion on the TARP and how we have two TARP teams. Uh, and again, the reason we have two TARP teams for early morning TARP pulls is so that you're, the same people aren't doing it every single time. 
Well, it's funny because this year, basically, it has been the same people every single time. Now, what I mean by that is uh, every so often, you know, you call in for TARP at, at 6 a.m., you call the, the hotline, uh, and there's a message from, you know, from Cam, like, TARP pole is off because the rain is still in the area. You know, we're not prepared to take the TARP off at 7 o'clock or 9 o'clock or whatever time it is. Um, other times, you call. Tarpole is on his schedule. Tarp's on. Okay. Got to get out of bed. Now, every year there's a discrepancy between the two teams of who pulls more. And I have said that from year one, 2014. And everyone has always told me, oh, it all evens out, it all evens out. And it doesn't. One team gets screwed every single week. Or every single year, excuse me. But I've been just, it all evens out. So this year I wised up and I started a little chart. Oh, wow. So I have my team. Times pulled, times called out. Other team, times pulled, times called out. Do you know the standings right now, Scott? Would you agree this is a little more lopsided than normal? Do you, you know say the, the standings right now, Scott? I am well aware that the team that I am on has had a hell of a Pretty year. good year. A hell of a year. Pretty good year. Um, <laughs> I would tend to agree that this does seem more lopsided, but no yep. one's ever kept track, yep. so I can't say for sure. That's correct. Um, so right now... One team has pulled four times and been able to call out once. Okay. The other team has pulled one time mm-hmm. and has called out four times. Mm-hmm. That seems wrong to me. <laughs> I, I, I can't stomach that. The, uh, it's interesting. I know there are some old-time uh, Bulls employees listening to this, and their only take from that is the fact that we've had so few number of nights where the tarp has been on the field. Uh, back in the day, we would have 20, 25, 30 morning tarp pulls. Um, and so that's interesting from a, it's not necessarily a drought, but we just haven't been getting that much rain since April. So that was that's actually my first take from those numbers is, wow, that's a surprisingly low number of times that we've had to even call in. Um, so the, the argument shifts almost every two or three years, you'll get a little camp of people, which sounds like you're in this camp, uh, that do not like the, if you wake up and you call in, that counts. Yeah, yeah, I'm a rabble rouser. Yes. You want people to wake up, make the call, and get into work. Um, I think it's also interesting how us who are single in the office, this applies differently than folks who have kids. And so if you are married and have kids... You know, that night before when you get that text, you've all of a sudden, you've started planning, right? You've texted the wife, you've texted the babysitter, you've, you've planned whatever. What do we've got to do with the kids? Because I'm not going to be available to take them to school. I'm not going to be available to take them to camp. I'm not going to be available to watch them, whatever the case may be. Um, so I actually was the one who shifted. So my first seven, eight, nine years here, it was not the way it currently is. You had to come in and tarp for it to count. Um, but the older folks in the office, so to speak, they convinced me that, you know what, if, if someone has to make those plans the night before and wake up and make the phone call, that should count as one pull. And I totally understand that. I do not have kids, but I do understand that there is more in play when you have kids. You do have to think about this stuff, but then are you penalizing the single folks or the childless folks. It's like, okay, so, so I, I get that side of it, but what about me? Just because I don't have kids, I'm getting punished here. So 
<laughs> Earlier in the year, uh, the captain of the team who has the uh, very low amount of pulls. Your team. That's correct. The captain of that team approached me and said, should we offer up the next pull and take this pull for the next one? Uh, we were very confident that that one was going to be it. Yeah, you're definitely going to be here in the morning. There was going to be a storm coming through like midnight, and that was going to be it. It wasn't going to rain the next day, so there was going to be a pull. And I looked at this person, and I just laughed. <laughs> Life is not fair. Tarp pull is not fair. But that's the way it is. Life is not fair. We are preparing people for the rest of their okay. lives okay. by this structure. Hold on. Life is not fair. Absolutely. There are a lot of things you can't control that are unfair. Mm-hmm. To an extent, you can control this. So so here's my proposition. Okay. So so again, just to make sure everyone's on the same page, you call in the morning. You're told whether it's on or off. If you call, then that counts. That's all that matters. If you're on, whether you pull or not, that counts. I'm okay with a two-call system. Oh, gosh. So so I call, I call in on a Tuesday. Hey, tarp pull's canceled. All right, I'm going back to bed, or I'm going to enjoy the time that I have at my house, whatever that looks like. However you choose to spend your time, it rains again on Thursday. I'm up again. I call. Tarp pull's canceled. Okay, two call outs equals one pull, and then we move on, and so on and so on. An interesting part here that you've reminded me. I'm pretty sure, actually, my number one factor wasn't the fact that I was concerned about families. I'm pretty sure I was concerned the fact that we're, we're we just we can't keep up with this type of stuff. Then and so keep a chart. I have a chart. I have a little much thing. I just use easier my pen. to just go every other, no matter what happens. That's that's a a bad <laughs> excuse. If that's what we're basing it on, I, bad reason. This not is, an excuse. This reason. is. There was a, a few years ago, if you can't tell, I'm impassioned about this. Because every year I'm on the bad team also. Uh, I literally like held court in our little break room area. And I just went off. I don't know what... I blacked out. I don't even know what happened. I don't know what I said. Uh, definitely had some opposition. And there were some people who were on my side, but they weren't as vocal about being on my side as I would have liked. So this is my call to all coworkers and anyone who listens to this podcast to back me in this, that... It is unfair, it is unjust, and there is something we can do about it. <laughs> and so, if you agree with me, social media at durhambulls.com, send us an email. If you don't agree with me, I don't want to hear Stay from quiet. you. But Stay if you quiet. do agree with me, tweet at the Durham Bulls, send an email to social media at durhambulls.com. Let me know that I am right, and I will, with my little chart that I already have, I will take fan comments and we will win this war. We should do a demographic study of the people that respond. And I assure you, all the millennials are going to say, oh, this is not fair. This is terrible. And all the old timers, ah, live with it. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, send your age in as well if you want. Send your age. Uh, give a little background on why you think this is incorrect. This is unjust. Or if you're wrong, tell us why you think it is just. But that'll do it for the staff meal argument of the week. And again, this is the staff meal argument of my employment here, uh, spanning six years. So, so just going to throw that out there. Thank you for uh, hearing my side and I guess Scott's uh, weak side. Mm. Oh, wow. But now we turn to our interview, uh, much more mellow interview, much less contentious interview with Chef Curtis Wong. Uh, he's our executive chef here. He's been here four seasons, does an unbelievable job. Uh, really fun interview, talking about the stuff he makes, how he gets his inspiration. Uh, so here he is, Chef Curtis. 
All right, so Chef Curtis, question number one. How are you skinny? <laughs> uh, genetics. That's it. But I just feel Good like you, like, how do you not eat all day, every day? Uh, I do. Well, he, I, he does. I think as your career goes on, you spend enough time around food, it stops looking, uh, you know, like a meal and more like uh, tools, products, huh. things to, you know, get to your end game. Um, I won't lie, my first season here, I definitely, definitely had my fair share of hot dogs and hamburgers. Understandable. Um, my physician recommended highly against that after some cholesterol testing. <laughs> um, so now what I do to answer your question is I grace. Um, you know, like a bowl. There's no, there's no eating in my kitchen. If you're working on something, I don't want to see you have a meal right next to you. You take your food and you get out of the kitchen. I sometimes eat in, in your kitchen. Yeah. You don't work for me, but you don't That's work. Yeah, you, yeah. I do no work in the kitchen. But if you did work for me, <laughs> for if you did work for me, that rule uh, is more like do as I say, not as I do. Because yeah. if you're cutting bell peppers, I might come by and I grab one, and I'll, I'll try to, you know, just keep my snacks healthy throughout so, the day. So Handful are you? Bell peppers. Are you snacking for you, or are you snacking to your employee, being like, oh, you're doing a good job? Both. Like I want to check. Which is the real I want to check one, the side. It's because I want a snack. Because okay. later, at the end of the day, when I'm truly hungry and the club gets open, there's a lot of you know heavy items, and I have to I have to exhibit some self control to uh, you know not keep eating more steak or not keep eating more bang bang shrimp. Like I know what it tastes like after two or three. You, I know. Are you talking about me now, or I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to keep eating it to to know what it tastes like. So. It's a little bit of self-control and it's a little bit of just, you know. I feel like there's I've, a lot of self-control. I've been there because I don't I'm not in the kitchen all the all the time, but I'm right. always eating. Right. right. Let me sample those 8 Sundays just to make sure they're nice. <laughs> I want to I need to know that this cookie was as good as the last cookie, which is on <laughs> exactly. par with the bang bang shrimp. Yes, cookies are my battle. Don't even get me started on the cookies. If if the food if the food items are your tools. Mhm. I'm thinking of like a tool bag right now or okay. a toolbox. I'm with you. Like everyone's got a screwdriver, right? Right. So what's your screwdriver? What's your hammer? Mm, everything that's on the menu that day. This is, you know, we're talking upstairs in the club, okay. but whatever products I decide to bring in, they all have to paint a picture when the gates open and they have to have, you know, color and they have to have the wow factor. So they're tools. I, I don't think of it as like, mm, that's a orange bell pepper. I'm going to eat that. It's like, this is orange bell pepper. It's going to make, you know, my dishes just have that wow factor and a lot of color. Now, this is something I didn't think about really until I became a tour. Uh, but like food presentation is important. Yes. You know, it's like, like, like you said, like color and how something pops and how it looks like that's really important, especially again, up in the PNC Triangle Club when these are our highest paying fans. And, mm -hmm. and again, they're paying for premier food not only in taste but in presentation exactly so so how where, where does your inspiration come from uh i do a lot of you know just online searching see what other restaurants are doing see what's trending right now pinterest a little bit of pinterest i don't know if we're allowed to use names like that um <laughs> they're not a sponsor so. <laughs> <laughs> uh so it never stops even on off days if i go out to eat or, uh, you know, if my wife and I go to uh, a wedding, um, snapping pictures with my phone, thinking, can I do this in the club? Would I want to do this in the club? Um, and it's a labor of love. It never really, you know, it's not like you, even though you're not coming to work, you still think about what's trending and what other people are doing. That's interesting, right? Because, Scott, I know you do it. I do it. People do it all across our office. If I go to an NC State basketball game or a Duke football game, 
I watched their video board. You know, you, you Scott, I'm sure you pay attention to their parking. And, yeah. But yep. And so you almost can't enjoy like a sporting event anymore because you're looking at what they're doing. Whereas for you, basically anywhere you go, you you have to pay attention to like the food and the presentation. Yeah, it's not like I have to though. It's just like my body's your body tells you does you have it. To. Yeah, yeah, I'm just looking. Yeah. When you talk about uh, inspirations, Patrick Keenan did not like how I worded that. Um, <laughs> could you talk about how your interview went? And, and that's interesting. That is fascinating to me. I think most folks would also find that interesting. How an interview works with a chef. Uh, absolutely. So if you're a line cook and you want to get in with a crew, with a good restaurant, you volunteer, you say, Hey, I want to come work a service one night. And basically the, the crew and the chef, they're checking you out and it's called a stage. Um, how do you spell that? S T A G E. And I think the E might have a thing over it, but mm -hmm. it's French. It's not Spanish. I don't know. Traditional French stage actually means you know, a season, a summer, 14, 15 year old boys, their parents, when school's out, would just give them to this restaurant and they get room and board, they get no pay, but they're the guys washing lettuce, making dressings, you know, making stocks. And that was a real stage. The modern day stage means this guy interviewed, I like his resume, but we're not going to hire him. We got to come see how he works on our line, how he moves on the kitchen and that sort of stuff. When you start interviewing for chef jobs, you do more of of a cook test or a, you know, a mystery basket. Some places will bring you in and have a mystery basket and three or four people watching you. Um, so what Dave and Mike Burling did was a, you know, modified version of that. And I just cooked some stuff I knew I could do well. I did not at the time realize Mike Burling's, um, <laughs> you know, limited, palate. limited, limited palate is a good word. Um, but at the time, the, the, the kitchen here, the water was shut off, and we had to borrow a friend's restaurant. So I was kind of just, you know, shooting from the hip, and I was lacking in the dessert area. And at the time, like I said, I keep up with trends. Um, flowers were trending. You can just eat flowers, but you can't go to the florist. Those flowers have been treated. You know, they've got to be organic flowers, particularly roses. People are using a lot of roses, rose water, that sort of stuff. So I took a uh, candied rose petal. I took rose petals and I candied them so they formed a little cup, um, like a single serving, just pick it up and eat, kind of like a spoon. And I just put a pastry cream in there. And uh, I honestly didn't think I got the job when I put that in front of Mike Burling. He was like, I'm not, I can't eat this. And he was looking around at Dave and he's like, Is this is great. Is, am I going to eat this right now? Or, or, <laughs> yeah. Like he, he honestly didn't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty interesting. But now here you are. Here I am. So four this seasons is seasons later, yeah. yeah. This is four seasons. So take us through a typical game day. Mm. And just the chaos. Maybe not chaos. Organized chaos. Organized chaos. Organized chaos. Well, seven o'clock game. The chaos. The chaotic theory. Chaos has to do with fractal geometry. Way and I'm out. Uh, there's a there's a There's a thing? No, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a it gets normal. It's so chaotic, it gets normal um, in a good way. So I get here as early as I can. I try to get here at 8. Um, I'd also like to go on record and say two things. Uh, one, those are not mandated hours. Nobody's <laughs> asking me to do that. That's just how I do it. I, uh, you know, I treat it like my Navy ship, and if the ship's out on a med pack, you know, 
you're going to work long days and it's over when it's over. And the second thing is I couldn't do it, uh, without my lovely wife, Charlotte, because shout out, Charlotte, shout out Charlotte. Um, you know, in the morning we get up, I've got a four year old and a one year old and there's babies crying and a four year old not wanting to put his socks on. And I want to help, but I, uh, I got rose petals. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta get to the kitchen and she's, uh, wholly supportive. So when baseball season starts for us as employees, you know, we all have that bond. Like, here we go, another season. Um, that kind of goes for my wife, too. She's she's an exceptional employee's wife because she's got to go through the season as well. So I get here at 8 and try to get what I need to get done before my employees start rolling in between 9 and 10. Shortly after that, produce shows up, bread shows up, uh, and then hopefully the, the bigger trucks show up. Um, and next thing you know, it's just 2, 3 o'clock, and then the countdown starts. All right, four hours to the club, it's got to get open. Five hours to the club, has got to get open. So at some point, I need to break away from my larger production kitchen to start focusing on the club and the wow factors and the color. And, and uh, it, the day just flies by. Um, I'm lucky if I get an hour to sit at my desk and just catch up, not even daydream, just catch up with invoices, do another order, figure out the next day's menu. Um, but it's enjoyable the whole day. It's a long day, but, and the worst part for Charlotte is when I get home, I don't want to stop. I want to jump online and look at you know what I'm going to do tomorrow, make lists, start making prep lists. and uh, It's a labor of love. It's a labor of love, and, and I do it well, and I love doing it here. It's a good atmosphere to do it. So you mentioned the production kitchen, the large production kitchen, and the club. Mm. What some people might think is like, what does a baseball team have a chef for anyway? You know, like, is this guy just cooking chicken tenders right. that I buy at the concession stand? Right. But what a lot of people don't realize is that we have concession stands, we have picnic areas, we have a club level. So so tell us a little bit about the difference between all of those and mm-hmm. your level of involvement in all of those. Uh, the production, actually, I'll tell you a funny story. My wife and I recently, uh, we bought a house, we moved, so we're trying to meet neighbors. And uh, there's an older lady next to us. And, you know, you go over and you say hi trade numbers, whatever. And she asked what we do for a living. And I told her what I do for a living. And she goes, now is that like burgers and dogs or is that like (laughs) cooking, cooking? (laughs) I don't understand your question, but, um, so the production kitchen, uh, is a mass production kitchen. There's, uh, anywhere between eight to 10 people working most of the time, two shifts. We handle all the party decks, which will average between 500 to 800 people daily. Uh, nine different party decks. Sometimes they have special menus. Uh, sometimes they'll have a, you know, like a wine paired menu or a bourbon paired menu. Uh, also out of that kitchen, we feed the front office. We feed the visiting team before the game. Appreciate it. We feed the visiting team after the game. We used to do the bowls. Uh, I feed the grounds crew once the first pitch flies through the air. And... I think that's it. It's a lot. It's a o- lot, but only it's, a thousand people a day. Yeah, right, from that kitchen. I think I think eight fifty. Well, if you add the other stuff in, yeah, a thousand. Yeah, only yeah. a thousand. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a well oiled machine at this point in the year. Now that my employees are on board, they know where everything is, and it's fun. Every year you got to start over, but every year is another opportunity to do it better, cleaner, you know, safer. Um, but yeah, trucks come in full, freezer gets full, and at the end of the night, the freezer's like half empty. And thank God you got another truck coming tomorrow. And then, so how does that differ from the club kitchen? The club kitchen is what we would call, I guess, a finishing kitchen. A lot of stadiums have them. If you were to compare it to an MLB stadium, they would have, you know, five or six of these finishing kitchens. So you try to get as much production slash prep 
done down in the big kitchen until you kind of move the whole operation up and then you do the finishing whether the finishing is you know actually cooking something frying something garnishing something smoking something um and it's a balance between the two you have to figure out what i can get done in that smaller space uh versus you know i've got this production kitchen with plenty of room plenty of refrigeration plenty of space um and that's the dance that we do every day is trying to find out what you know at what point do we go up we've got we've got 75 percent of this menu here ready to go is it time to go up we've got three hours let's go and start start getting ready hopefully so, the elevator works hopefully the elevator works and it doesn't always that's a good day a bad day is when you know you're down to like two hours to opening and you, you haven't even really put a dent in the in the upstairs pnc club list um but it's always enjoyable i mean we have a lot of fun so so how do you so 70 games over the course of the year mm. you know six in a row seven in a row eight in a row whatever it is how far in advance do you have your menu mapped out and is this like okay, on April 1st, I know what I'm doing for all 70 games. Mm. Or is it more of a day-to-day, week-to-week? How does mm. that schedule work? I'll go stretch by stretch. Uh, I will try to get a good you know, four to five solid menus done, but then towards the end, you kind of want to repurpose, see what's left, kind of hanging around of what you've purchased. And there's also the teaching and the coaching aspect of it. I can do it. I know what I can do. I know what I'm capable of, but I've got these cooks and they want to learn. So, you know, as we, as we, as the season progresses, it stops becoming, uh, extremely detailed, you know, like tilapia with cilantro, diced red peppers, and a little bit of sesame seeds on tops. It more becomes like, Hey, welcome to work. I bought you chicken, apples, and avocados. You go like, I know what I want. I know it's, the final picture in my head, but I want to see if I can urge and push my cooks to get there and then let them fall. You have to let them fall and then fix it. But I think it's my contribution to the, to the culinary, you know, world is to take this opportunity, um, and let these people grow because after baseball season is done, I want them to be able to, to have opportunities for themselves too. And I want to vouch for them. I want them to put me on a resume. Mm -hmm. So, um, so to answer your question, they're very well detailed in the beginning of the season. It's, it's, you know, nothing is decided without me as the season progresses and my cooks get more confident and they get a little, you know, uh, enthusiastic about coming to work and they want to try stuff. And I urge them, you know, Google some stuff, Pinterest, some stuff, show me what you want to do. And we'll see if we can get that product in here or we have that product in the house. So to answer your question, it's very organized in the beginning. And then, you know, towards the end of the season, end of the stretches, it becomes a little bit more of a winging it thing. And a little bit less on you mm-hmm. and a little bit more like, like you were saying, show me what you can do and, you know, let's, let's have some fun here. Right, right. One of the neat things that I see with special events, um, which we haven't totally hit on other than the, um, just talking about the club during games. So we've got the PNC Triangle Club. It's not a game day. We have a special event. A lot of times that we've, we've seen and you've seen, um, the guests for these events aren't your traditional uh, baseball fans. And they almost didn't know we had a club. And then when they get in the club, they had no idea that, of the food that they were about to be served. They thought, like your neighbor thought, <laughs> I'm going to the ballpark, I'm thinking I'm going to get hamburgers, hot dogs, and chicken tenders. Um, is that inspiring to you when someone walks in from a, a special event and is just kind of shocked at the, the quality of food that they're getting? Um, does that inspire you to do bigger and better things? What, how does, does that make you feel any different than a normal game day? Yes and no. I think, uh, 
I mean, absolutely, when everyone's impressed. Uh, but I think on a game day, we have people that we have first timers as well um, that haven't been here before. The special events part of it is is a different animal, which is a great part about my position here because you've got the game day stuff, you know, and then you've got the the special event stuff. Um, and the special events are more detailed because people usually pick, have a say, you know, almost like if you're uh, planning your wedding. Um, so yeah, it inspires me. I, I want to, it's a different type of customer service, customer mm -hmm. experience, which is ultimately, you know, our goal here, whether it's a baseball game or a catered event. So it's definitely enjoyable. I think, uh, I think inspiring, it's, it's rewarding more than anything, more than inspiring. I think I've got enough inspiration just on my, my tenacity alone. Um, but it's rewarding when people leave here not knowing this, you know, space was here and then we had a real chef and we do all that. It's, it's like a real thing. Yeah. yeah. Like I think yeah. it's to Scott's point. I think a lot of people, they think of a ballpark and they don't realize that we employ a chef and that we have a kitchen and that how seriously we take our food, whether it's a game day or a non game day. Right. Um, all right. Two last questions for you. One, what is your, Favorite dish to make. Mm -hmm. You want me to answer that? Or are you can ask me the other one. Oh, right, right, no, right. that that's yeah. So one, two, one by one. two one final by questions. One. one question Numero and then answer, uno. and Got then we'll go to the next one. Uh, I hate that question. I hate that question. He never gives me a straight answer. When I As a chef, you get. I don't know if. Is I, it like cyclical? Seasonal? I mean, I feel like if you if I was a comedian, you'd be like, oh, we'll say something funny, like. Just looking for an answer. Yeah, yeah. I know. Just, I, just looking yeah. for an answer. I don't have one. I don't know. I bang don't, bang shrimp. No, that's the bang bang shrimp. The bang bang really shrimp is good. delicious, though. Yeah. My, <laughs> that is my personal favorite. My, you know what I love doing? I love uh, cooking breakfast for my kids in the morning before I come here. Oh, which, I like that. that. I like which that. Is, uh, that's going to get a lot of five star reviews. Yeah, right there. but I have a lot of fun with it. My wife and I, uh, we were like, we should do a cookbook to do this. But then my wife's like, nobody's going to do this. The things I do for for these breakfasts are pretty. Elaborate? Yeah. It's legit breakfast. Like yeah. what? Uh, so I was making pancakes the other day, right? And I'm pouring the pancakes on the griddle. I don't know what possessed me. I just took my metal spatula and I turned on one of my burners and I threw it in the flame. The spatula? The spatula's in the flame. Then I grab another spatula. Then I flip said pancakes. Then I put brown sugar on them and I grab this now branding iron. It's creme brulee like caramelized, crispy top pancake sort of thing. Ruined the spatula. We had to throw that away. Yeah. The house smelled like burning sugar for a while, but there were the best pancakes. My wife's, there goes the cookbook idea because you can't, you know, write instructions for people to burn to, spatula. Yeah. <laughs> but creme brulee, I might be onto something with creme brulee pancakes. You know. Do you, did you forget my phone number all these <laughs> expeditions? You don't want to be near this house at uh, 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> Uncle Scotch no show up. <laughs> Gosh. Um, knock, knock, knock. <laughs> all right. And then what is your favorite dish to eat? That might be bang, bang, shrimp. Uh, no. My favorite dish to eat, I've got a couple. Uh, you know, I go out to eat a lot, and I've got friends in town, and we always get the royal treatment. But uh, I've got to say my Perk. mom's linguine and clams white sauce. That huh. sounds, yes. Yeah. Yes. I've never had it, but yeah, it makes sense. Oh. All right. Well, Chef, so that's that. appreciate you hopping on with us. Yeah, this was, thanks uh, for having me. And now uh, the staff meal has come up quite a bit <laughs> on the podcast. We would be remiss to not bring it up with you as, as a guest. So I feel like sometimes you guys bring it up 
not because of the food, but because of the discussions that take place there. Well, that's All that's one part, yeah. but the food is is interesting because, from the standpoint. It's, of, it's set. It almost sets the conversation to a degree. Yeah, because it'll be interesting. the The discussion will get going at dinner based on someone just walking out, like, "What the heck is this?" It's like it's spinach. Like, you know, it's something very basic. It's like chicken and spinach, and uh, we we can go back and listen to to our previous episodes. I'm a big fan of the staff meals. I will always eat whatever it is, and I always like it. Now, I think if other people just gave it a chance, they would like it too. <laughs> but as you mentioned, Mike Burling just sees something he's never seen before and immediately out. What? But, uh, I forget what I did the other day, but he called it green stuff. I think it was the spinach. <laughs> no, no, no. It was broccoli. I made like a, I made like a pasta with, with me, and then I just threw some broccoli in there, and, and then I rolled back it down to the break room uh, just to make sure everybody has enough. And I said, Mike, did you try this? And he's like, I was gonna, and then I saw the green stuff. Broccoli. broccoli. It's broccoli. <laughs> what country some, did you grow up in that, that broccoli is green stuff, Mike? But uh, there are, before we cut this one off, there are two things that you do that uh, one I think is funny and two I appreciate. Uh, he will, like, Curse will literally walk around and try to find me to get me to try something. <laughs> like the other day on Saturday or Sunday, he walked by, try this. Yeah. And I gave him a hard pass look. Yeah. He, he knows like when to push me and, and, and when to not push me. Yeah. It was a smoothie. Yeah. And I was. It had purple too. I was like, I'm out. I can't do that. But secondly, blueberries and yogurt. Yeah, like <laughs> basics. Really weird for Scott's palate, I guess. But secondly, during games and special events, uh, I think our fans and our guests thoroughly appreciate and enjoy interacting with you as you're walking through the club and talking. I think mean, that's a cool dynamic that our our you know kind of full season ticket holders, or at least the ones that show up to uh, um, you know more than 30, 40 games mm. in the club, they thoroughly enjoy interacting with you uh, and just. Talking in general, but also talking about the food items that are that are prepared for the day. I think that's a, a neat little element that we have going on. So I think that's kudos a, for I that. think that's a great part of uh, my my job here, and it's unlike restaurants and hotels and universities and other chef jobs around. Is that aspect of it, um, and that to answer a question from ten minutes ago, that's that's really rewarding. That's <laughs> that's one of the perks of the job, um, cool. one of the many, but. Well, yeah. appreciate you cool. coming on, man. Appreciate all you do for for our uh, for our staff, and look forward to eating dinner next Tuesday night. Absolutely, thank you, guys. So that was Chef Curtis, uh, shifting gears pretty heavily now. He knows that he works for a baseball team. He knows that we are good. I don't think there's much more knowledge to our team than than what I just mentioned. Right, I'm with you on that one. So. Uh, I don't know if he knows that we're in the playoff hunt. He might know that like there's a playoff schedule, but I don't know if he, he's thought that far ahead. Um, but yeah, so the Bulls, again, still good. Always good, just how it works. As of this recording, though, we are two and a half games back in the IL South. Gwinnett, uh, Gwinnett's good this year. Gwinnett's a good team this year. So we trail them by two and a half games, but we are four and a half games up in the wild card race. Uh, Charlotte is chasing us. They are the closest team to us. So right now we are squarely in playoff position. But this next month is going to be pretty interesting. And here's why. We play Gwinnett seven more times between now and the end of the season. So a lot of chances to close that gap. But we also play Charlotte ten more times. So a lot of chances for Charlotte to close that gap on us. So 17 games over the final... Uh, I think it's like 32 Yeah, come against those two teams. That's awesome. 
it's going to be fun. Yeah. It's going to be fun. So again, as we go for a three-peat here, uh, we got to get through what is the toughest division in the IL by far. Uh, and I would venture to guess one of the toughest ones in all of minor league baseball when, again, you have three teams that are that, are that close in the playoff spot. Here's what makes it interesting, though. The Bulls, uh, I don't want to use the term gutted. We have not been gutted. But we've lost a lot of important pieces. We've been peeled back. We've been peeled back, yes. So get this. So there have been seven players who have played at least 30 games for us this season who are not on the roster. And that's Nick Solak, who was traded. Jake Smolinski, who signed with a team in Korea. Nick Shufo, who was traded. Andrew Velasquez, who was traded. Christian Arroyo, traded. You also have Mike Brasso and Nate Lowe who are up with the Rays and have been for the better part of a month. Now, uh, to add on to that, Jake Cronenworth and Emilio Bonifacio, two players who have each played over 50 games. That's a lot of games. Are on the injured list. And Jake Cronenworth, to take it another step further, uh, leads the league in batting average. Literally the best pitch, the best hitter in the league. And not to mention he had not allowed an earned run in like seven pitching appearances. Uh, just, just, Injured for extended periods of time. So you factor all that in, and yet we're still uh, third best record in the league, four and a half games up on a playoff spot. But this will be this is an interesting test, right, for for Brady Williams. Again, our first year manager, first year at the AAA level. I mean, this is some AAA stuff right here between trade pieces mm-hmm. and call ups and injuries. This is he's got his work cut out for him. Yeah, he's 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 dealt with playoffs before, right? He's dealt with winning teams, he's dealt with losing teams. He's dealt with everything in between. He hasn't dealt with this before. So it'll be fun to watch. It, it has been fun to watch the juggle of not know, of when you show up to the clubhouse each day, not necessarily knowing who's going to be in your lineup every day. That's, and we're, that's wild. We're recording this at uh, – it's currently 1147 Eastern on July 31st. Trade deadline has not yet passed. Mm-hmm. And the Rays are uh, expected to be buyers, which means that they have a lot of prospects. They have a good system. A lot of people are thinking that the Rays are not done yet because they're going to acquire another pitcher, uh, a, a big batter. And again, does that mean that someone like a Joe McCarthy, a Jose De Leon, uh, Kian Wong, we got a lot of good players here yeah. that could not be bulls by the time this podcast hits uh, Apple Podcasts. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's neat too how, how this day impacts the rest of the year, right? But it's also neat from the, from the like everyone shows up on the field. From a coach's standpoint, a lot of them, they all have their cell phones. And that's that not a normal thing throughout the rest of the uh, 139 days of the season. So um, there a lot of impacts today, uh, a lot of impacts prior to today, as you've talked about. It'll be neat to see these these next two months as we go for, uh, next month, excuse me, as we go for the second ever three-peat in international league history, as I'm looking up as you were talking. What was the first? Uh, Columbus, 79, 80, 81. So, I mean, this is historic. And and to talk about, again, the impact the trade deadline can have on a team, it had a very good impact on the Bulls last year. Chris Archer was dealt at the deadline. Uh, The Rays picked up, among others, Austin Meadows, who in one month here (laughs) hit 10 home runs, drove in 30, and had a three-home run game the night we clinched the division. Shout out to Haim and Eric. That was a good trade. That was a good That's trade. Proven to be a good trade so Very far. Very good at least. trade. Uh, Tyler Glasnow was another piece in that, and Shane Baz or Baz. Mm. I, I don't. He's he's not here yet, but he's good. Yeah. Good good lower level pitcher. Um, so what do we got coming up next week? 
Another big homestand. This is our third to last homestand of the year, which is pretty crazy to think about. But we got Marvel Superhero Day. Captain America jerseys, Captain America bobblehead. Are you a Marvel guy? Um, Matt DiMargello, the person who held your position two people before you, was a huge Marvel guy. Still is a huge Marvel guy. He got me into it. Um, I watched Incredible Hulk, or Hulk, whatever it was called. Um, and yeah, I'm all in on this type of stuff. It's been fun to see the the reaction from uh, a lot of families and, and, and folks throughout the Triangle. This has been received well. This would be a cool night. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. This is It's always weird from my standpoint because a lot of the stuff we do I am in tune with. Uh, Marvel is not one of them. So we talked in our last episode about how we plan for theme nights and, and you know, we sit around a table, we get a bunch of people and throw out ideas. Uh, for our superhero meeting, I was less than useful. <laughs> um, you know, It's one of those things where you know it or you don't and then you try to learn enough to fake it. Uh, but it'll be cool because we have a lot of people on our staff who do have a lot of good ideas. And my limited knowledge is that uh, based on what else was said in that conversation, we have a lot of cool stuff programmed. Yeah. We also have Wine Down Wednesday, the uh, sibling of our last event of bourbon and baseball. Yeah. There are not glasses being given away no, this time. Not actual glasses. We're adhering to Major League Baseball <laughs> security best practices. But it is a silicone Bulls wine cup. I guess, I'm not going to call it a glass because yeah. it's not. Uh, so five different types of wine, five different food items that pair with that. Private area, that'll be neat. Two fireworks shows and our penultimate Great affordable eats of the year. Again, I truly cannot comprehend why fans would not come to an affordable eats night. Tickets start at $9. Hot dogs are $2. Select beer is $5. Pizza is $3. It's it's a no-brainer. It's it's truly a no-brainer. Especially as you're wrapping up the summer here, right? Starting to get ready to go back to school. And get ready to Come go on to, out. That's the, I'll tell you what. You go to a football game or a basketball game, you ain't paying $2 for a hot dog. That's correct. So you're also not paying $9 for a you're ticket. You're also paying $9 for a ticket. So so just just think about that. Doing that out there. So that'll do it for Episode 10 of Hit Bull Win Podcast, the official podcast of the Durham Bulls and a production of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. If you like this episode, if you like any episode, Give us a little review, uh, five-star only, nothing mm-hmm. less. That's right. Um, give us an actual word review. Tell us why you liked it. Uh, or just let somebody else know about it. Again, this is a baseball podcast while not being a baseball podcast. A lot of cool stuff in here. At least we think so. That's why we talk about it. Um, but until next time, go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls.